G'day, it's Parky here and welcome to the Cancel Star Wars podcast. Today, Luke's just back from circuits, which means he gets to take off, level off, descend and land and then do it again, all pursuing the perfect circuit. Is there such a thing? We talk about that and a whole bunch more on the Cancel Star Wars podcast. Thanks for joining us. What's a Cancel Star Watch podcast all about? Well, it's where three pilots from three different generations, 22 years apart, gather every two weeks to pursue the spirit of flight. Sam's our baby boomer pilot who first flew in the early 70s and safely logged five decades worth of military, police, rescue and instructional time. Parky, that's me, is our Gen X pilot, and I began flying in the early 90s. I've got a passion for safety management, along with 20 years of military, rescue, and instructional time. And of course, there's our new Gen Y pilot in training, Luke, who just kicked off his flying career by signing up for pilot training at a local flight school. Three different generations of pilots with three very different generational perspectives talk through the joys and challenges of flight as Luke progresses through pilot training and beyond. From the first spark of aviation curiosity to going solo and onwards to a professional career, Sam, Parky and Luke passionately pursue the spirit of flight within the now highly technical experience of modern day aviation. As you listen, you'll get a couch side, behind the scenes perspective into the training, the knowledge and the attitude it takes for a pilot to finish a flight and radio into air traffic control, cancel Sarwatch. Hope you enjoy our conversation and if you reckon it's worth it, please rate and comment. Also, why not visit the www.cancelsailwatch.com website for additional content such as pictures, memorabilia, safety articles to help you cancel sailwatch. And now, on with today's conversation. So I guess we'll just start off today and ask you, Luke, what are we up to? Just did my first lesson of circuits this morning, as he said, he says with a big grin on his face. <laughs> <laughs> circuits, yeah, no, simple but fun. demanding. Yeah, well, it was just, and it was just normal circuits too. It wasn't any of the uh, emergency stuff. As nerdy as it sounds, I kind of, I, I bought a, a Tomahawk for flight sim, like a really, a good, decent one. It was like $15 online, but all the gauges and everything are in exactly the same spot. And I was just going through like all the procedural bits around the circuit. Mm. So 400 feet above ground level, fuel pump off, 500 feet above ground level, start rate one, turn to the left, mm. climb up to a thousand feet above ground level, start your turn onto downwind, do your downwind checks, turn on, uh, announce your base, and start descending on base, flaps out, turn on final, and then just keep it lined up on the runway. So all the procedural stuff I smashed out in flight sim well beforehand uh, so that when it actually came to flying it I kind of just had to focus on flying the aircraft rather than trying to learn all the bits and pieces around the circuit so I think Mm. it turned out really well actually that's pretty cool because I don't Mm. know about you Sam but did you ever use that kind of visualization or mental modeling kind of techniques to help you learn before you got airborne yeah certainly uh, armchair flying the circuit but isn't it amazing this new technology where you can physically Mm. uh, hook it up to your computer and Mm fly yourself around that's marvellous yeah yeah I remember starting my basic flight training just sitting there with like a metre ruler and trying to imagine it all Mm. but now you've actually got a screen to look at and you know you can even later on as you get into the instrument phase you'll be able to fly those approaches Mm. and that kind of thing Mm. so that mental visualisation it's interesting because there's actually just in the last week a good article on flight safety by Cresha Ballantyne and she talks about 
using mental visualization. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a famous quote she starts off with, the man who has no imagination has no wings. And apparently Muhammad Ali said that. I didn't know that. (laughs) But it says here, the technique of visualization emerged in modern culture as a legitimate learning method after a study conducted on Russian athletes demonstrated the power of mental imagery. In what is now a well-known experiment, Russian sports scientists conducted a creative visualization experiment with a group of Olympic athletes. So group one received 100% physical training. Group two received 75% physical training with 25% mental training. Group three were 50-50. And group four received 25% physical training with 75% mental training. Who do you think performed the best? That sounds like a trick question. It does so, sound like a trick question. What are you? Two bob each way, fifty-fifty. Yeah, I'd go fifty-fifty yeah. as well. But it's actually group four. Seventy-five percent of their time devoted to mental training, with twenty-five percent physical training. Yeah. Now you imagine though, elite athletes. So, mm. what is twenty-five percent training to them yeah. and to you? <laughs> and what, prob- what sort of sport were they talking about? What um, particular she, aspect? She doesn't actually say uh, in here. It just says yeah, Russian it's... sports scientists, and then it says Olympic athletes. Yeah, but it doesn't say what kind of yeah. athletics. But it says here, seventy-five percent of the time devoted to mental training, they perform the best, and so. Uh, psychologists from that time on began talking about uh, visualization as improving muscle memory even without mm. doing the real thing yeah. so I, I was recalling myself sitting at Tamworth and like I said sitting sitting in a chair literally mentally modeling the flight particularly more complex flights whether mm. it was a maneuver trying to imagine what you would see what you wouldn't see trying to say the radio calls like you were mm. all that kind of stuff stepping through the checklist the mental checklist so mm. i just thought that's interesting that modern psychology i guess is sort of backing that up now mm. as a legitimate training thing mm. so good on you mate keep doing that yeah well i found it was like it was super handy because one of the things that i've kind of been obviously like i'm only five hours in mm. to flying so i know it's just a matter of experience but I find it really hard to keep ahead of the airplane because there's just so much information Mm. and so much I'm trying to learn and so much kind of muscle memory I'm trying to build and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But um, I found that today for the first time, I could um, anticipate the different Mm. milestones before I was going to hit. So I knew like I'd uh, rotated and I'd taken off and I've set my attitude for best rate of climb. And before we got to the 400 feet above ground level mark, I was looking for it going, Mm. as soon as this hits the air, I know I've got to turn my fuel bump off. And it was the first time I was kind of like, oh, I can anticipate all the things I need to do as opposed to just <laughs> yeah. being told by the instructor. Mm. Yeah, I think that's great because, yeah, if you hadn't done that mental visualisation and so forth, yeah, I, I dare say you'd still be a bit behind yeah. the aircraft. I mean, you can't do everything, Yeah, but yeah. certainly those things come out. So how did you do it, Sam, like however many years? How many hours you got in your logbook now, Luke? Five, uh, did you say? 5.7. 5.7. Yeah. So when you had 5.7 hours back in, what, 1972 or something? Yeah, the... Um the thing that they have visualized at those times was the cockpit photograph. Mm. So mm. you knew where, when you when you were armchair flying, you knew mm. oh, I've got to look there. Yeah. But this seems to be such a more powerful tool that uh, you you know exactly where. So you're not searching for the information; you're getting it straight away, which mm. frees you up to yeah. actually look outside the cockpit where you're supposed mm. to be looking at it. Mm. Mm. If you have a look at the article anyway, I'll put a link to it on the website there. It's quite a good article on the Flight Safety Australia website. Hmm. So you can have a look at that one and there's a lot more detail about that. So you did circuits. Uh, what was some of the surprises for you doing circuits? Strange as it sounds, there, there weren't actually too many surprises just because hmm. I'd done hmm. most, of the, most of the prep. I think 
really the thing I just had to focus on was just all of the the muscle kind of stuff. So it's mm. the stuff you can't do in flight mm-hmm. sim, where you just kind of get a feel for, or you get a feel for whether you're sinking or or something like that, which you can't yeah. really tell in flight sim. So I guess all that kind of preparation frees you up to mm. just concentrate on actually flying the aircraft when yeah. you're doing your lessons and stuff. The lesson I've been looking forward to because takeoffs and landings are I think mm. the funnest bit for me so far. <laughs> so I managed to smash out seven of those today. Oh, Couple wow. of, there was one greaso absolutely nailed one of them and the other ones were not super rough but a bit clunky <laughs> the, yeah did you instruct after take over uh, an arrival, uh, an arrival, arrival. Yeah. yeah you know the difference between an arrival and a landing <laughs> yeah it's oh, actually something good. you don't describe you'll know it when it happens yeah yeah oh, very good. no well she didn't have to take over there was uh, i do have a tendency to try and steer like a car as i'm coming down and uh um, to try and yeah adjust where I, whether I'm left or right of the runway with my ailerons, which you mm. obviously need to do with uh, rudder mm. when you're on final. And so there was a point there where she was just putting her hands under the yoke, so like physically couldn't move the ailerons. Oh. And I remember just going, "Oh, it's not turning. What's going?" And I'm like, "Oh, she's <laughs> she's forbidding me <laughs> from yeah, using yeah. those." And so that was a cool little yeah I had to change. Yeah, because often at that point, there particularly on final, your mind sort of almost task saturated yeah. particularly in the early yeah, days yeah. so by getting your attention that way you don't even realize mm, you're doing it. by mm. getting your attention that way it probably is a bit of a positive affirming kind of thing of don't do that and i could see the improvement too from the next couple i was like mm. oh, m- mentally making it okay don't use aileron don't use aileron yeah uh, so it seemed to work mm. <laughs> which so I you would have done more takeoffs and landings today than in any other flight wouldn't you really? yeah yeah i mm. was um lucky when i was doing my stalls to squeeze in one touch and go because we mm. had still had a little bit of time left but yeah uh, today was the the most amount of takeoffs mm. and landings i've done which is mm. yeah and like i said before it's my favorite bit mm. so far I've always found circuits to be one of those kind of nice, steady state, stabilizing maneuvers. I mean, there's so much in it. There's mm. the takeoff, there's the crosswind, downwind, base, mm. final. There's so many mm. things in that. And even now, you know, having flown for a few years, we still go out and say on an MVG sortie or whatever, and we'll mm. just do a basic circuit as a settler. Yeah. And it's interesting because you can actually challenge yourself on a circuit, even though it's a basic thing, by just saying, okay, how accurate mm. can I get? Actually, that's exactly what I was going to say. Being a bit of a perfectionist, my goal is to at some point pull off the perfect circuit. Now, I know that's <laughs> probably almost going to be unreachable, but there's so many different things. Like I've done the lesson in climbing and descending and turning yeah. and all that kind of stuff, where a circuit is literally all of those things added up mm. together so you know getting the right picture out the front for your, mm. your climbing attitude and then making sure that you're holding exactly 30 degrees or rate 1 15 degrees in a tomahawk as you're doing the turns and I always have a tendency to kind of like slowly drift out of the turn and go up oh, back over a bit more a bit more yeah uh, so it's yeah and no, it's a really cool thing I can't can't wait until I you know feel a little bit more confident doing the circuits where I can just um, yeah like pick one thing i want to hone in on, on yeah. that kind of circuit and say right i'm going to absolutely nail every one of my turns then you'll be right on <laughs> 30 degree angle of bank every time yeah <laughs> the only trouble with that is when you hone in on one thing the other thing <laughs> yeah <rubbish>. obviously <laughs> not to the neglect of the other sam luke talked about the perfect circuit mm-hmm. have you ever flown a perfect circuit <laughs> no <laughs> why no, not no, you're no, the seasoned sage here uh, mate oh yeah but uh i find that probably the trying to do it 100% accurate even if the, if the weather conditions don't even change mm. there's always something that mm. changes mm. slightly that you've got to keep on top of and, mm. and I was kind of giggling to myself when you said I've got to, <laughs> yeah. got to do an exact rate one turn or a 30 uh, degree angle bank turn and that all goes out the window when you've got a bit, yeah. bit more crosswind or, mm. or screaming crosswind mm. or 
Yeah, so you've got to actually think about how am I going to modify yeah. that, that basic plan, but mm. uh, there's they, so many things to think about. So you would have taught dozens, if not hundreds of people, mm. or watched that amount of people do a circuit. Have you mm. ever seen them do a perfect circuit? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting because how, do you, how do, you de- well, how do you define perfection mm. anyway? Because yeah. I guess if you, like the Army Standards Manual, the Army Aviation Standards Manual has, you know, plus or minus 100 feet, I think, and mm. plus or minus five degrees or 10 degrees off heading, I don't even know. But yeah. um, I guess if technically, if you keep within all those, it's the perfect circuit. Yeah. But if you were to go plus or minus one foot on downwind mm. or plus or minus mm. one degree, well, that might mm. be a different Yeah, that's, different that, that's a good point. You, what you have to de- define what perfection is. And, mm. you know, I said my, my standards, and I'm sure Luke's standards and your mm. standards, are plus or minus 100 feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting because you're kind of thinking, you know, oh, yeah, I should have this now. But like a basic circuit is to get it precise, mm. even within that those thresholds that are, or, you know, within those buffers that are given, it's quite... Difficult, I find. Mm. You know, like it's quite challenging, and particularly then when you start doing it at night or on night vision goggles, uh, or you change it so now it's not actually to a nice big long runway mm-hmm. uh, with you know nice cushy kind of services waiting for you if it all goes wrong, but a little hole in the trees in the helicopter mm. world. Even then, flying numbers, I found a lot of times you'll go out and think, oh, there's no need to fly the numbers, but actually more of a need to fly the numbers out there because the sight pictures and everything are different mm. to what you're used to, and if you can hang your hat on a known set of parameters, i.e. a speed on downwind, a yeah, final yeah, angle yeah. bank and all that kind of stuff, it really does help you when you're mm. doing more mm. uh, yeah. advanced kind of things. Have you found that, Sid? Yeah. A very good example of that is when you you relate what you're now doing in day circuits to night circuits, so you're fly, trying to fly exactly mm. the same yeah. rate, but your visual cues at night are such that you feel as if when you turn base that you're a lot further away. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a tendency to... Yeah, it's, it's it's a whole new world. So, Sam, you would have seen, like I said, a lot of guys and girls do circuits and seen bad circuits, good circuits. What are some common mistakes or maybe common challenges that people have when they're doing circuits that you've kind of seen over the years? Leaving it too late to make an adjustment. Mm. Uh, not so not so much on the uh, crosswind, downwind. Base is where it all starts to, to come unstuck. And certainly on final, if you... If you get that base turn wrong, you really need to, once you're lined up on final, assess where, what your crosswind's doing and, mm. and how far out, whether you've mucked that up. And you need to get on that extended centre line as quickly as you can mm. instead of sneaking in because the, mm. the longer you leave it, the less time you've got to, and then you mm. get massive pilot-induced oscillations yeah. at the end. So yeah. the, the quicker you can assess that you're not quite in the right spot and make a bold adjustment first mm. once you're on the line there can be very minor adjustments mm. well i remember it might have even been you saying that uh, a good landing and a good approach actually starts on downwind mm. because if you think about it from downwind if you muck up that turn you've got to correct the turn you've got mm. to correct the power setting so now you're actually already a little bit behind the drag curve so to speak because you're all, you're not actually prepped now for final by the time you get on final if you're still correcting base mm. and so too if on base you're still correcting downwind mm. <laughs> you know you're already <laughs> going to have up. yeah exactly it becomes way more challenging than it should and so mm. again setting the preconditions for success on base and final by flying to a really good uh, downwind i think is important mm. and you kind of hear a lot about as well are uh, you know near enough's good enough but i kind of like tony kern's take on this you know he wrote the darker shade of blue and got real famous in the human factors world but i remember him talking about the square of mediocrity where you know, especially older 
guys or people that have been doing it for a while, mm. they're not held to as high account. So they tend to go, okay, well, near enough's good enough. But the trouble with that is when it then comes time to fly something to a precision level, you haven't practiced to a precision level, yeah. you've practiced to near enough is good enough. And yet it might be once every hundred times, but like I think Mark Twain said, better to be prepared 99 times than dead once. So mm. when the time comes to fly precisely, you don't actually have mm. those those skills because it's just always been near enough is mm. good enough. So... Yeah, yeah that just comes to mind there is that there's actually no difference in your effort to get it right as opposed to being somewhere near it. Mm. Yeah, I guess if you're aiming for somewhere near, you might as well be aiming for the right. <laughs> well, that's right. There's no there's yeah. no extra effort required. Yeah, yeah. And that that setting up of base uh, that you're doing now in your circuits mm. will stand you if you're accurate in that and your assessment skills develop mm. it will stand you in very good stead for when you're doing pfls yeah mm. what's pfl practice force landing ah oh, we're doing emergency circuits or mm. circuit emergency procedures uh next mm. lesson which would be pretty cool that'll be good one of the things that i was having a bit of a, a laugh at with my instructor is before we went up she was saying that so many students will consistently do the wrong thing like every single circuit they'll always turn to late or something because they never change anything. They just kind of go up and do the same thing and expect a different result. I always kind of have a tendency to try and turn on to final a bit earlier than I should. And if you do that, then it kind of turns into this big, long, lazy turn and you end up with like a really short final to try and get yourself established on, mm. um, on final. Uh, and I remember kind of picking up on the fact that I'd consistently for the last three circuits turned a bit earlier than I should have. So I kind of jokingly said, oh yeah, well, I'll leave it a bit longer this time and we'll see how we go. And I thought I'd le left it for like ages longer than I usually <laughs> would and started turning to the left and then came up short again. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it's just having a bit of a, a, bit of a laugh. Yeah, the, the, mm. uh, a couple of points I could bring up there is when you've done one uh, system for, for example your downwind checks mm. think what's next next is my uh, base turn yeah now what did i did do previously how do i, I turned at this point yeah, yeah. What, what was your your visual mm, yeah, point we'll on the ground the left, yeah. so if i'm going to leave it till that point yeah and then, then make the turn. So mm. you're, you're looking for the next sequence that comes mm. along. And I think that was what was really handy with doing that practice beforehand in flight sim because mm. if I was trying to learn all the bits of the circuit as well as trying to remember what I did last circuit mm. and try and correct my mistakes as I'm going around, I think I would have been fairly mm. task-saturated and um, may have missed mm. some of those things. So yeah, the, the big hurdle that you've got now is that to try to achieve the accuracy you tend to look inside the aircraft. We brought this up the other day. Uh, yeah, the performance line, we talked about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And in the circuit, this is because you'll be going to uh, solo very soon, mm. Toowoomba can be very busy at times, mm. relatively. Yeah. Uh, that's the sort of thing that can really come unstuck. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't get hit, you probably won't get hit. Well, there's a thing too where if you're looking out, like Sam was saying, even for a base turn point on the ground, that's a fixed point. Because what will happen is your, your mind starts to mentally model how the turn feels, when the turn should happen, but the mind can be fooled. Like you can mm. have a very strong wind, crosswind on a particular day or night, mm. 
and you think you're feeling it using the force to turn at that right point, but you're actually being blown another half a mile that way because yeah. of a very strong tailwind mm. or whatever at height. So if you can see a point on the ground and you know that's it, it's a distinctive dam mm. or mm. What, what we use out at Oki, um, it's always going to be generally the same. And, mm. uh, and again, it's going to get your eyes out. Same, same with the attitude. Yeah. You know, if you can really learn to peg what that attitude is in that particular aircraft for different yeah. speeds or whatever, yeah. um, then again, your eyes are going to be out where they kind of mm. need to be. So... Yeah, that's no, very interesting though. It's just good. It's good hearing all those things, and even seeing. I know you probably haven't thought about too much about circuits for a while, but just getting back into it and getting that kind of vibe and mojo going, and being able to talk to one mm. another about it, I think is mm. a really cool thing. And yeah. even going back to uh, things that I used to read about when when I was just a young pilot was the um, the technique that the World War Two pilots and the oh. World War One pilots mm. used. They'd take off and they'd fly to a, a certain point, the church tower, mm. three or four miles away. And then they would lay off with the wind and they would be flying, at, say, for instance, 500 feet above ground level. So they, they would know what the wind was because the aircraft was physically tracking directly mm. to, to that point. Mm. Yeah. So if you're flying any circuit anywhere in Australia, the first thing you should do is look to, as you take off, what is in the in the distance. Yeah. Set up your crab angle if you need yeah, it. Yeah. And then if you, as you climb, just be aware that if you've got slack isobars like we do at the moment with mm. the, the big high, mm. you're not going to have a great variation in wind at height. Yeah. When you get the tighter isobars or you go to a night scenario, then you get a, a, a huge variation mm. between uh, mm. 100 feet above ground yeah. level and 1,200 feet above or 1,500 feet above. Mm. And your crosswind can be huge mm. and you can be ori- disoriented just like that. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, we had that the other night actually with all the Kiowas, which are a smaller military helicopter. Same thing, a lot of wind shear going from the lower levels to height and they were doing night unaided, so without night vision goggles. And yeah, the wind was something like 30 knots at height and then about mm. five knots on the ground. And coupled with that, there was a strong shear line with a lot of turbulence. So in the end, they actually ended up cancelling night flying for them. Blackhawk, of course, the mighty Blackhawk could handle it. And so we kept going. But yeah, you could definitely feel it. And you're actually coming around on final and they're almost at a standstill as wow. they're coming around. Yeah, again, having having fixed points, having a way of, I guess, informing your mental model with reality, mm. not just sort of feeling the force is really important. And so I know circuits can be pretty challenging if you want them to be, I guess. And there's something that, again, it comes back to whether you want to be a professional, precise pilot. And I guess that's a constant battle. I kind of feel like oftentimes there's a certain amount of energy that you have to keep putting in. Otherwise, it all starts to deteriorate. You can just go, oh, like I said, near enough, good enough. But like Sam was saying before, what you're doing now will stand you in good stead later on. Even just the way your eyes are looking, the attention to detail, the scan, everything else, they're just foundational things, mm-hmm. habitual things that if you do it well now, you'll keep doing it well into the future. If, if there's little flaws now, those flaws will carry with you into the future. So. <laughs> I've actually heard my instructor on a couple of my little tendencies, like, you know, trying to turn the aircraft mm. with the, the yoke when we're, yeah, on final when you mm. should be using your rudder. She's like, yep, we'll just nip that one in the bud. We don't want you doing, uh, getting into that little habit. You know, as instructors, you'll learn about the law of primacy, which is the first thing taught, the first thing experienced is a thing that will stick in your mind. Yeah. So if you're taught the wrong way or you're doing it the wrong way and that's mm. how you're experiencing it, it's so hard to break. You can just, I guess, be kind of soft and and, uh, and putty-like in the early days to be ready to change quickly and then solidify those patterns and those behaviors and, and, and those skills now. That's going to be a really good thing in the future. Mm. What what um, So you, talk, you talked a lot about final and, and using 
I guess ailerons instead of rider, etc., closer to the ground. Mm. Anything else? Yeah, there's something about when you're when you're on final directional control is just with the rudder, and mm. ailerons are just to keep your wings level. Mm. And you're also using attitude mm. to adjust your aiming point mm-hmm. and power for yep. speed. Mm. And usually, I'm very used to put a set RPM and then adjust your attitude to get mm. whatever speed you want. Mm. So say you want to descend at 70 knots, then yeah. you have your descent speed. If it's like a yeah. um, a glide, you've obviously got no RPM. Or yeah, if it's yeah. a power on descent, it's 1500 RPM, and then you use your attitude mm. to hit 70 knots. Mm. Whereas on final, you don't want to be using your attitude to adjust because then mm. your, your aim point will either go up or down of where you're trying to hit the runway. Mm. So it's that kind of reversal of now you've got to use your RPM to adjust how fast you're going mm. and use the attitude to keep i wouldn't have thought that was correct it's always attitude controls your airspeed and power controls your rate of descent yeah, yeah you've got heaps of fixed wing time yeah, yeah military always mm. teaches attitude controls mm-hmm. airspeed and power controls your rate of descent so uh there is i guess a, there, is, is, a there is a cross there mm. is a, a, a correlation between the two mm. obviously if you're slowing down mm. you need to apply power yeah but, um, and there is and you usually do a bit of both at yes. the same time yeah. um, it might be worth just querying it though and just mm, saying hey yeah I'll have a and look. what i was going to pick up on too is do you use a work cycle on final are you familiar with that term work cycle uh i'm familiar i'm not sure that we've formally go gone over kind yeah. of like a uh, work cycle at the moment it's very much the instructor's constantly like feeding me feedback instructions yeah as yeah. we're doing it but i like it's a little bit hard to kind of take on board exactly what they're saying mm, yeah. and still try and do all the things that I'm trying to do as well. Yeah, that's that sort of task saturation mm. thing. But that that's what a work cycle is really good for. So a work mm. cycle is just simply a set of instructions to yourself that you repeat. So for me, even in the Blackhawk mm. now, I have an aim point aspect, aspect closure rate. That's mine. And, and people can use different keywords and so forth, but they're the three key things mm. that are changing as variables. So they're yeah. the three key things that I'm checking. So And it stands in good stead for night, MVG aim point aspect closure rate so i'm going okay aim point is it moving up or down now if i just focus on the aim point and get it right guess what i'm screaming across the ground really yeah. fast because i've dumped that other part of the work cycle yeah. but if i'm repeating okay now i'm going straight to mm. aspect does the angle look right does the rate of closure look right i need to look mm. out the right for that in a helicopter but it's just a, again it's a mental technique of making sure that we're hitting all the right mm. things because the next thing that can happen is like radio call or a little bit of yeah. wind shear or whatever. And that's, oh, well, far out. Now I'm too fast. Now I have to go around. Yeah. Whereas, the yeah. again, the work cycle is something you can even practice in your mental modeling and your mm. mental visualization as well. You might even ask your instructor, do you use a work cycle on yeah. final? Um, I think like unofficially, I've probably been doing that as well. For me, it's aim point, aspect, closure rate. Mm. Inside, briefly, to check all the instruments. Yeah. And then again, outside. So yeah. that's all part of the flow. Yeah. So in your case, Luke, it'll be... Uh, You'll be airspeed instead of closure rate. Yeah, yeah. Because airspeed will twig you to, mm. if it's correct and you're a third of the way in and you want to mm. slow yourself down, mm. you'll use that extra flap. Yeah, yeah. So your airspeed relates to your flap to trigger for the the next thing you're going to mm. do. Yeah, and aspect, that's pretty much just like glide slope, is it? Is that what you're talking about when you say aspect, like the yeah. approach angle? Yeah, or? The, the, exactly. The shape, yeah. Of the, yeah. the shape of the runway yeah. to give you yeah. the... 
the angle that you're coming in mm. depending on what sort of approach you're going to do mm. because in this case here you're using a flapped approach yeah so you'll have a certain yeah. descent rate yep it'll probably be around the 500, 500 feet, feet per minute yeah so when you come around to do a flapless approach mm. it'll probably be around the 300 feet mm. anyone would think yeah. you were an instructor in a <laughs> <laughs> yeah i must apologize i forgot about all your fixed wing time we've only ever flown with uh, sam as a yeah. rotary guy but yeah. no that's awesome yeah, so maybe you can practice work cycles mm. even just get some key words that you can easily remember because remember yeah. when you're under pressure, you tend to dump things, but yeah. key things that you can remember and then it's just like a little mental checklist that you're mm. just going through. I've, I've always... You agree with that, Sam, mm. like using a work cycle? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm. You have to cement that in. and you, They're the sort of things you can do while you're driving along in the car. Just mm. go through your checklist mm. and, and that's the aim, yeah. aim point aspect, yeah. airspeed. Another thing that I, I thought of then, you're changing your airspeed when you're doing the circuit. Have you noticed the difference in the control forces as you take off and then you, you level off? You're going faster. The, uh, as in the like difference? trying to trim it all off or the, well, uh, you know, the, the amount of deflection and stuff in the of, yeah, 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 yeah. What yeah. are you finding on that? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, it's slower airspeed. It's, it's a bit mushier and that where it's a bit yeah. more responsive the faster well, you, you're You going. probably noticed it last week when you were doing uh, storms. Mm, yeah. When you're spare speed right back. What, what sort of movement you got in there? Yeah, lots of movement lots to of movement. try and do anything. Yeah. Not, not a lot of pressure involved. It gets, no. so the faster you go, what happens to your control forces? You've got to put in, uh, use more force to... Force, so you tend yeah. to hold on a bit, mm. bit harder. Yeah, you do. So yeah. when you come down on final, one of the, we all do it, is you, you tend to overreact down the bottom, you tend to get the yeah. death grip, <laughs> the yeah. death grip. Whereas in fact it's it's much easier to control. <laughs> yeah. so you're slowing down, so it's actually so yeah. the best thing you might have something to, to do with the, the ground coming in at like a yeah. hundred kilometers yeah. an hour. It's, it's <laughs> adrenaline. <laughs> yeah. Well, we want to try and avoid that arrival rather than a landing. Yep. I had one of them in a CT4 at night. It was flare, I think, when you felt the lights come up around your ears or something. Oh. Or, or and then, but I'd never, I don't know, I sit up higher or something. Yeah. So I just went bump like, and the old G meter went straight to five point five. <laughs> You're allowed a maximum of six G. Yeah. That was close to an arrival. Oh, wow. Mm. The um, one of the things that they were talking about in the briefing this morning is if you have a hard landing, especially when you go on your solos, always mm. to report it, which is mm. just you know good amateur. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. Um, you want to be honest about that kind of stuff mm. anyway. And she was talking about your kind of definition of a hard landing as a student pilot might be a bit different to what our definition <laughs> of a hard landing is, uh, mm. given that you've got nothing to compare it to. And she uh, was saying it was this ages and ages ago, a student had managed to get the wheels up onto the wings and there were skid marks on the wings. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Going <Yeah>. around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I imagine that thing would have bounced. <laughs> No, that's really cool. So that's pretty much circuits. Again, just encourage you, Luke, to keep seeking kind of precision. And mm. I think that's what I was going to pick up on before as well was the, the ability to self-critique, I think, so mm. important. When you're starting, again, you don't really understand what's normal and what's not. So yeah. it's hard yeah. to self-critique, being open to change, even as you get you know further into your career and so forth, yeah. and really developing that self-awareness and being able to say, okay, on that circuit this is what I actually did wrong and this is what I need mm. to fix it because that's going to be something that will keep us, yeah. as we talked about in the early days, humble and I think growing in, as a professional. Mm. Mm. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, once you've got spare capacity, you'll find that in the uh, upwind, crosswind, downwind uh, and even the first part of the base, you'll be able to look out a lot more, not only enjoy what's going on around <laughs> you, but actually look for something else that might be a threat toward you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, on final approach, there, there's always a danger... Of, of getting fixated 
we, I call it target fixation. Yeah, I've yeah. got to land on that sport, so you keep on looking at it. Not so much a big deal during the day, but you need to, for when you start night flying, you need to spend quite a bit of time, and it's about 60% of your time, mm. looking away from the point you're going to land on. Yeah, wow. You force your, force your eye to look left and right and then come back to it, so you look left mm. and right inside for your, your aim point aspect, yeah. airspeed, so you're flicking inside, mm. getting your eyes outside, so you're not target fixated yeah because at night that that will develop a very very yeah. dangerous situation yeah. where you can really come unstuck mm. in a hurry would you agree oh absolutely sam and i think that's it's like if i said to you right now cut the same piece of string the mm. same length and do it 50 times i can mm. guarantee if you don't have some sort of yardstick by the time you get back to it it'll be a different length because yeah. you're just looking at it all the time and yeah. now it feels a little bit smaller now it feels, you know it feels a bit longer <laughs> but like sam's saying by looking away kind of re-reference your brain mm. in a way mm. so i think that's why that works well and and like sam's saying it's interesting because today we're saying oh when you go night flying or when you do pfls or you know later on when you're in a bigger aircraft these things will stand you in good stead because they absolutely will and mm. so working a little bit harder now will just make it easier mm. later on so I do have a quick question for you guys as well. So as a young dude with 5.7 hours, I'm pretty energetic and trying to like smash yeah. everything and getting it all mm. out. But I'm sure that as time goes on, mm. stuff will become easier and mm. I won't feel the need to try and put as much effort into it. So is there, have you guys ever had any examples of that or like what do you guys do to try and combat that kind of complacency? Well, Sam can go first. Well, it's, it's not complacency. It, it's... You're trying to get it right, but there's, and I think we bought hit the nail on the head before, because you're trying to get it 100% right, you tend to look inside too much. Mm. So if you know if it's a rate one turn or a 30 degree angle turn, look for the, the cues outside so you're yeah. not looking inside. You need to, to lock in those the visual picture outside. Mm. And, I mean, that's what you're paying your money for. You mm. want to look outside the aircraft. Mm. You don't be looking inside yeah, there. Yeah, you're paying true. to look out. because, yeah. and, and also, be, uh, you're striving for perfection, mm. in inverted brackets, but you're flying in a medium that's constantly changing. Mm. You're, now got, you're no longer driving. The, mm. You're in that third dimension <laughs> yeah. with yeah. lots of other things happening mm. in that third mm. dimension. Mm. Mm. And I think just to, I guess from my point of view in terms of, I guess you were asking how we stay professional, stay open to change, stay open to, you know, having to pour energy in. Well, yeah, give yeah. an example. So I went back to flying the Blackhawk, haven't flown the Blackhawk for a while. What I've noticed straight away is everything's closer, faster, lower in the military. And you have, you know, you have things on your side, like four crew, which you won't necessarily have in that same role in the civilian world. Yeah. I was just struggling again to maintain a nice stable hover at night on night vision goggles because what happens is you've got your periphery that's cut away by these two 40 degree field of view things. Now there's a whole bunch of basic things that you're taught but I had, for one reason or another, forgotten. So I'm mm. going, why is this hover so hard all of a sudden? Mm. And so I just started sort of debriefing myself and I came up with four key things that were wrong. Now, mm. that they were, I should have known. They were very basic things. One yeah. of them, my goggles weren't adjusted properly. I'd been flying a lot of instrument work on goggles. So yeah. I, I was used to having the goggles all the way out here because that's yeah. all I really needed. Yeah. So straight away, they were adjusted the wrong way. Yeah. So by bringing them back in, it increased my field of view to at least a, a useful sort of set mm. of parameters. So I could see the movement cues. Yep. 
And then using the HUD, we use a head-up display. What, what was happening, I was actually getting saturated with all the information because they used to worry about having just one end, two end, three end, that's the names of the modes. And one of them takes away all the attitude information, but I've kept the attitude information up there. So it was kind of cluttering my field of view and distracting me. And again, that was, I guess, just going, okay, the good thing about aviation is you kind of, if you're open to it, you know you're not meeting uh, the standard that you want. It was fine for whatever standard that the military wants, but I want to get better. And so, okay, one, two, three, four, here's the four steps. It's sort of self-correcting, really, because you see that you're not where you're supposed to be. And it's about the attitude to say, okay, well... I could maybe cover that up and go, oh, well, it doesn't really matter, but no, I want to get better. Mm-hmm. And acknowledging as well, I think that so much as you get older is not actually learning new things. It's actually relearning old things, like things mm-hmm. that in a, in a way you might have forgotten or things that you haven't done for a while. No matter how experienced you are, if you haven't done something for a while, you're not proficient at it, you do yeah. almost need to go back to first principles. And just, yeah. again, being open to that, I think is really important. And the guys that I like, and I'll just say it to Sam as well, is, they're the ones that just keep learning. You know, they keep learning their whole careers. And, you know, obviously the learning curve tapers off as they get older because they do know a fair bit. But the ones that are willing to keep learning, I think, is really important. And that, like anything, it has entropy. It has a, an effect that's going to deteriorate. You've got to keep reminding yourself and reminding each other, I think. Another key point I think you said there, which was pretty cool, is like debriefing. You debriefed yeah. yourself afterwards. Yeah. So I'm fortunate enough that I can like record some of my lessons for revision privately. Mm. Um, and so it might be good to kind of go through and yeah. listen to the kind of bits of feedback that I was getting when I was in the middle of trying to mm. land the aircraft and maybe not soaking yeah. up as much as I need to. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we, that's technology, again, we didn't have. But what we did have was a, what we call a prep book. So a prep book, you would write down like your work cycles, write down the key numbers, write down from the previous flight, your Mm. learning lessons. And so at the end of the flight that you had today, in my prep book, I would go and write down the key things because guess what? You might not do circuits for a while now. And then in a couple of weeks, whatever, you come back to circuits, you go, oh, these are the things that I was doing wrong. Um, So having a prep book and closing the loop on that kind of thing is all part of that, developing Mm. the professionalism and getting better at it. Mm-hmm. Very good. And uh, just remember that you're doing circuits at Toowoomba, which is what two and a half thousand feet in the circuit, is it? Or mm, well, three three thousand one hundred. Three thousand one hundred. Yeah. Mm. So you're what you're setting up now is a a picture for those that altitude. Mm. So just keep it in the back of your mind that when you start doing getting away from Toowoomba, so yeah. for instance, going down the coast to Maruchidor, that's at sea level, yeah. so your apparent movement across the ground will be different. Mm. And then if you go some later stage to a higher, down to Cooma or somewhere yeah. like that, then you'll, you'll have a different mm. rate of movement over the ground. Mm. So just keep that in the back yeah, of your mind. I do. Yeah, and the other thing with runway 11 here is that it kind of slopes up a bit, which mm. can produce a bit of an interesting visual yeah. effect. So, so we might finish off there, but any last kind of data burst thoughts on circuits, Luke? Uh, that is really fun. Takeoffs mm. and landings are awesome. I mean, they're probably the most dangerous bit, but they're yeah. pretty fun. <laughs> well, that, and that's a point too, and we might actually look at that later on, but that is the most dangerous part, take, take off and landing. So mm-hmm. it's good that we get to practice those. But again, just, you know, keep your head on a swivel, yep. stay alert. But that's my kind of wise, sagely advice. It's <laughs> all I could come up with now. <laughs> Sam? And, and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I managed to, in the brief, there was a couple of brief moments where I remember thinking just... 
stop and have a quick look out. Like you're focusing mm. on all these things. You've you've got a good second or two that you can spare before you need to get into your downwind checks. Have, yeah. have a bit of a yeah. look. So yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and again, if you keep developing that precision professional kind of mentality, then you're going to really be able to enjoy it later on because all those things will be intuitive and natural yeah. rather than having yeah. to think twice about it three mm. or four times. Mm. You'll be able to look out and enjoy and yet still be flying safely. So, so once you start getting a bit more spare capacity and you're kind of flying along there with nothing to do for 10 or 15 mm. seconds mm. and you've actually looked out and enjoying yourself. Bob Backella was my instrumental instructor down at Point Cook, an Air Force guy, ex-caribous. Yeah, right. Ex, um, right. A piston engine, uh, avgas type thing. Mm. And because of that style of aircraft that he's flying, which was subject to problems as they got older, mm. the same as you're flying a relatively old aircraft is keep an eye on on things on the mechanical side of things Mm, and mm. the the big things that are going to to, uh, give it away is your oil pressure yep each aircraft that you fly and you will fly different Mm, models of the same they'll run at a a certain oil pressure be aware of what that is Mm. whether it's steady or whether it's fluctuating or it it has been steady now it's starting to fluctuate what is it it, when I'm on full power, that's it. Yeah. What is it on downwinds? Yeah, and then, yeah. then be aware of what the the other aircraft are doing. The other ones, mm. your cylinder head temperature on a on a on a piston engine. Yeah, yeah. So those those two are the critical ones. Yeah. I think luckily with circuits, because as you go full power, one of the checks is oil and temperature. So I guess you're mm. looking at them fairly regularly. But yeah, very easy to pay lip service to it. Mm. It's a you get you going oh yeah temperature such and such and yeah what is the temperature yeah is actually it, is it normal that's a it, it um, might still be in the mm, green but it's mm, normally there and mm, suddenly yeah. it's there or yeah. there and yeah. yeah yeah I noticed that as well it's Even, like saying yeah. fuel like in downward yeah. checks fuel is good fuel's fantastic yeah. but how much is in it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all guilty of that aren't we no we are yeah. Food, well, even- good. Even just basic things like, you know, check the circuit breakers and the start of a mm. check and often I'd pull one. This is the entropy. This mm. is, you know, what I mean by deterioration, oxidization, even in our skill set. Mm. So, yeah, you pull the circuit breaker and I can guarantee 99% of the time people wouldn't notice it because yeah. they're looking but not seeing. You know, yeah, we're saying the words but we're not actually looking mm. at the gauges. Mm. Uh, and thankfully, I mean, there's design features that help us now with that too, with mm. glass cockpit or even the black mm. or, you know, it'll go green to red, which definitely get, gets your attention. But you still need to look at it to see the trend because it might yeah. be going from the middle of the green very slowly. Now you're yeah. over the middle of the ocean. If you'd noticed it before, you could have turned home earlier. Mm. So. I told you the story. You know, we talk, mentioned about NVGs before, didn't I? Yeah. I went up to do a check riding a guy and we took off. This is in the Niroquois. Mm. And uh, this guy was the captain of the aircraft and he went went around, we flew this terrible circuit and he came back and landed and I looked across and he said, oh, I'm going to have to adjust my goggles. And he had his lens cap on. He'd, he'd taken the ones <laughs> close to him, but the other ones are on the outside. <laughs> what? And what, he flew the whole circuit? Yeah. Mm. Wow. With lens caps on. Who was it? Tell us. No, don't. Don't, <laughs> no, it's all right. Cancel Sawatch is the last radio call a pilot makes when a flight has landed safely. The SAR in Sawatch is an acronym for search and rescue. When a pilot radios Cancel Sawatch, they let air traffic services know they have landed safely and the search and rescue watch can be cancelled. If the flight has been flown safely and professionally, then a Cancel Sawatch call must surely epitomise the spirit of aviation, because it will realistically represent the totality of a pilot's attitude, training, experience and wisdom 
and bringing the aircraft back home safely. Cancel Sarwatch, the call we hope every pilot makes, every flight, in the name of our podcast. Again, thanks for listening and don't forget to comment and rate us on iTunes and to visit us at www.cancelsarwatch.com where you'll find additional content to help you cancel Sarwatch. We can also be found on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Hit your Cancel Sarwatch bookmark in about two weeks for our next episode.